0: Church. Isn't it awesome to see so many young kids run out when they're dismissed? The church uh, has young life. That's such a great sign of a healthy church, so praise God for that. Um, if you have a Bible this morning, hold it up. Hold it up. You got a Bible with you this morning? Hold it high. Yes, I love it. If you do not have a Bible with you, there's one in the chair rack uh, right underneath page 877. Did any of you hold up your fake Bibles, your phones, your iPads, whatever you have it on? There you go. We love to teach the Bible, and the Bible is all about Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. Jesus is God become a man, steps into human history, and we get to learn about him through his word, and he tells Parables. Parables are little stories that communicate a really big truth, and we've been in this series, Go and Do Likewise, looking at the parables of Jesus, and we come to a very perplexing place this morning in Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18. Jesus is going to talk about a seemingly holy man who goes to a holy place does a holy thing, praise, and Jesus says it's very unholy, and it's very confusing uh, to to read. But yet uh, Jesus always seeks to answer a question in his parables, and the question that I, he, he seeks to answer in this particular one here that we're going to look at this morning is how do we become righteous? How do you and I become righteous? All throughout scripture, if you read, one of the attributes of God, he's described as being righteous. This is, he is holy, he is just, he is right, he is true in all of his ways. That is the God that we serve. And in the book of Genesis, he... uh, creates us, male and female, in his image and likeness, and in Genesis 131, the Bible tells us that God said it was all very good. That you and I, our first parents, human beings, we were made good. We were made good. We were made righteous. But through sin, if you know the rest of the story, sin has poisoned and corrupted and cursed our humankind ever since and so that every single person that follows from our first parents has been poisoned with sin. And so we are now unrighteous because of sin. Do, do you start to see an issue here? God is righteous. You and I are unrighteous. How do we bridge the gap? How do we become righteous? And this is the question that Jesus will answer in Luke chapter 18. It is a uh, seemingly complex question. You would think that it would take years to answer and decades of research. And yet Jesus so beautifully and so simply answers it in a few verses in Luke chapter 18. The book of Isaiah states, all of our righteousness, our good works are but filthy rags. So it says, filthy rags. The scriptures also say, no one is righteous, no, not one. And so this is an important question as we come to the scriptures this morning, you and I. This is more important than uh, where you will go to school. This is more of an important question than the career which you will work, where you will retire to. This is a eternal uh, question that needs to be answered. And we're gonna meet two people in the parable today. We're gonna meet uh, a Pharisee. Pharisee's like the spiritual elite of that day. He is the holy man. And yet, a couple of weeks ago, if you were with us, I was uh, unpacking Luke chapter 16. Often, Jesus has very harsh words, actually, for the Pharisees, these supposed holy men. And, and you don't have to turn there, but I want to read Luke chapter 16. And it says in verse 14, as we came to the end talking about you cannot serve God in money, This is what he said of the Pharisees. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him and said to them, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. This word justify is an important word. This means to be made right with God, to be made guiltless, to be found guiltless, to be found righteous. And so how do we as unrighteous become righteous. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Man, Jesus is putting the Pharisees on blast. He's got some harsh words for the Pharisees. We'll also meet a tax collector this morning. This is the IRS agent of the day. This is, the, uh, this is the guy that you don't want to see. And actually, even much worse than that, uh, he, he was turning on his own people in the Roman-occupied Israel to collect uh, funds, and he would do it by whatever means possible. If he had to steal, these guys were crooks, they were cronies, they were uh, not well-liked people, the fact that he would even walk into the temple of God would be scandalous. And so how do we become righteous? How do we stand before God justified, made right with God, guiltless? Let's read Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. And I want you, even as you read this, think of yourself in this parable to say, who might I be? or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's stop and just take a moment to pray that the Lord would reveal his word to us this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Would you reveal it to us? Would you show us our own hearts this morning? Give us a greater understanding of you and of your word. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. These men have a lot of similarities, right? They go up into the the temple to pray. They both spend time in prayer. And Jesus says, one of them leaves justified. The other does not. This is very perplexing. The righteous man does not leave justified. The unrighteous man does. This, This would have been outrageous for the Jewish people to hear in their system. This this flips everything on its head. They must have forgotten in the scriptures that in Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 talking of Abraham, it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. They have forgotten that the whole sacrificial system, the whole point of uh, what has happened in Leviticus and what we read in the Old Testament is to point to a need for a Messiah, that the sacrifices that were being made there were were temporary atonements. They were not the final atonement and was supposed to point to a, a coming lamb who would be the final atonement. They seem to have lost sight of all of this. Isaiah 53, verse 11, states in a a beautiful chapter on the coming of the Messiah, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And they've begun to put their faith in the keeping of the law instead of the giver of the law. That's what has happened. They they are putting their faith in, in following the rules, keeping the law, And they have come to the conclusion, like the rest of the world has, that the way you become righteous, the way you become justified, guiltless, faultless before a holy God, is by doing good works. This is where they've come to the place to say, it is by doing good works that I am justified. This is the most common lie believed in our culture today that it is by doing good works that we somehow earn the favor of God. That's how we get to God. That's how we are made righteous. That's how we are justified. It's by doing enough good things. This could work itself out in many ways. It could be, well, I am uh, not as good as that guy, but I'm not as bad as him at least. Not as good as her, but I'm not doing as bad as her. Hopefully God judges on a, a curve Hopefully, he judges on a curve, and I'll slip in. It could be, well, I haven't done anything crazy in my life. I've tried to do good things. Hopefully, my good outweighs my bad. And and that's how my righteousness will be achieved. It could be religious righteousness. To say, if I just go to church on Sunday, if I do all the right religious things, this is any religion, Across the world, if I just do the right things, check the right boxes, then I will be justified and made righteous before God. These are all ways of falsely justifying ourselves before a holy God. We are working for our own righteousness in these ways because we run into a dilemma in Matthew chapter 5. It's the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with an outrageous statement. And he says in verse 48 of Matthew chapter 5, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I don't know about you guys, but that's not me. That's not me. He, he, he is restating what has been said in Leviticus, be holy as, your, as, as, as I am holy, as God is holy. Be holy as I am holy. He's restating that. There's also a, a story just later in this chapter, a rich young ruler. If you've, read the, if you've read Luke, you remember it. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He's got all the stuff in the world. He says, hey, yo, Jesus, how do I uh, achieve eternal life? Jesus says, well, I'll do all these things, follow these ways. And he says, I've done all that. But Jesus knows what really has his heart. And he says, actually, go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and come and follow me because that's what has had his heart. And this man leaves with his head held low. And the people around him say, this guy looks like he's got it going on. He's He's got it made. He's the rich young ruler. If this guy can't make it in, who can? And Jesus responds, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so... How do we become righteous? This is not a works righteousness of our own self. This is not something that we achieve. This is not a, a boxes that we check off to impress God. And I want to tell you today, as we look at works righteousness, that it doesn't work. And here's why. It's centered on man, and it's not centered on God. Listen to what the Pharisee says. This is how he starts his prayer in verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. This dude's got an eye disease. It's I, it's I, it's I. It is man-centered and not God-centered. This guy's flexing hard, as my students would say. This is a flex. He's boasting. This isn't a prayer. He's coming before God in a self-gratifying, boastful way. This is not a prayer that is centered on God. He asks for nothing. He seeks nothing. He needs nothing. There are whole theologies that would teach that we don't exist to glorify and obey God, but that God exists to glorify and obey us. And that is a man-centered theology that we would not teach here and is not true because we exist for God. We exist to obey him, to glorify him, to worship him. And so as we come into this place, even singing the songs earlier and worshiping him, sitting under the teaching of his word in fellowship with each other, this is why we say, this is what we were made to do. And we find joy in that. We exist for God. He does not exist for us. And this man sees himself as the center of his universe. It compares us to someone other than Jesus. That's what works righteousness does. The Pharisee says, thank God I'm not like this tax collector. Don't we do that at times? Don't we love to, to compare ourselves to other people? To say, oh, at least I'm not doing as bad as him. At least I'm not doing as bad as her. And we're, we're comparing ourselves to others instead of when, when we can start to feel a little bit righteous and prideful, we just have to compare ourselves to the Lord Jesus and we recognize how, fall, how sh- short we fall, as the scriptures say. Our performance equals our worth. That's what happens in works righteousness. Your performance equals your worth. Listen to to what the Pharisee says. He doesn't want to simply let people know what he doesn't do. He wants to let people know what he does do. Verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. He's, He's actually, the fasting twice a week, this would have been adding to Old Testament law. According to the Old Testament law, uh, God's people would have only been uh, required to fast one day of the year, and that's the day of atonement. And so the Pharisees not only are finding their uh, worth and their righteousness in what they've done, they've started to add on to what God has said to find justification in what they have done. And and. Many would be impressed by this, right? I'm impressed by this. Fasting twice, that's going without food twice a week. I can't go without food for 10 minutes. Can't go without thinking about it. This guy's going twice a week without it. This would be impressive. And he's saying, look at me. Be impressed by how great I am and what I've done. And his value is found in his performance Instead of for you and I as followers of Christ, our value is found in that we were made by God. We were made by God. That's where we find our value. We are made in his image and likeness. That's where we find our identity. It is in the fact that we are loved by God. It's in the fact that we've been adopted by God into his family. That is where our worth comes from. That is where our identity is found not in our performance. And so even this morning, if you have felt the crushing weight of your performance, your ability to perform for God so that he might be impressed with you, this passage of scripture relieves you from that burden. Instead of your worth coming from being adopted by God, self-righteousness says it's my performance. It focuses on the internal and it ignores the external. See, everyone has faith. The question is, what is your faith in? Who is your faith in? And so our faith is external, it is in God who He says. He is what he has done, who he's made us to be, who he has called us to be. That is where we find our faith. It is, it is the object of our faith that's very important. And yet what has happened here is there is an internal faith. It's, it's my view of things. It's really how I feel about things that dictates where my life will go. It's, it's, it's my righteousness. Righteousness. It's an internal faith, totally um, negating the idea that there would be a righteous judge, God. And so that's what works righteousness would do. And then God is not our judge, people are. That's what happens in, in works righteousness. God's not the judge, people are. And so I can just imagine this Pharisee's prayer, right? Like he's kind of elevating the voice a little bit. He wants other people to hear how great he is because people are his judge. And what this leads to is it leads to pride. It ultimately leads to pride. And pride is a sin. The Bible talks about that clearly. It was actually Satan's first sin was pride to say, I want to be like God. It was our first parents' sin in the garden where Satan says, you know if you eat this, you'll be like God. There was a a pride that crept in. Uh, Augustine, one of our church fathers, says pride is like a mother who is pregnant with all sin. Ultimately, all sin comes from pride. Right? Notice his posture of prayer. His head isn't bowed low. It's held high. He doesn't speak in low and soft tones. He wants people to hear. He wants to get as close to God as possible, which we'll see is the opposite of what the tax collectors do. And and it's so easy for pride to to sneak in, isn't it? For me, it is. I'm on the road, I'm driving. Like everyone else on this road is stupid. (laughs) Everyone on this road is an idiot. I'm the only one who knows how to drive. You're at work, and you're like, thank God they have me on this team, because <laughs> if they didn't, we would be done. <laughs> it's easy for pride to just sink in and to think that somehow our, uh, that our righteousness, that we start, to, we start to get that self-righteousness in and of ourselves. And, and I think this is especially a cautionary word for men. Because I think all too often we are prone to pride. We're all, As humans, we all are. But for men, I think especially, and I've noticed this in myself, that I am very prone to pride. And what it does is it leads to contempt instead of compassion. When we are filled with pride, It leads to a contempt instead of compassion, because instead of looking at others and having compassion for them and on them, instead of looking at my spouse when we are arguing, and for me to say, you know what, I probably don't have all the right answers. I probably don't have it all right. It robs me of my compassion, and it builds contempt in me. And so we need to be very careful that the root of pride does not spring up in us to say, we deserve this. Do you know the reputation I've built for myself? Whatever it may be, whatever story is out there, to understand that ultimately this offends God. And instead of crying out to God for forgiveness, somehow this Pharisee is starting to think he deserves to be there. The opposite of this, the opposite of works righteousness is gift righteousness. It's gift righteousness. Anyone like gifts here? Anyone like to receive gifts? Yeah, and that's your love language. That's how you receive love. This this is how my wife receives love in gifts. And, actually, and definitely go see her uh, at the table afterwards for the... Uh, Berea retreat. She is a gift to be around. She is. I'm biased, but I'm biased, but she's a gift. Uh, That threw me off. So (laughs) she loves to receive gifts. And I've never met anyone in my life that has the same reaction, the same excitability, the same joy, whether you give her a piece of chocolate or whether you buy her a new car. (laughs) Like she just has the same joy over the gift. She just has this excitability and joy. She is so happy and joyful with receiving the gift. And this is where the spouses lean over and go, I want the car. (laughs) Just to be clear, I'd rather the car. But whatever I get for my wife, there's a joy in the gift because she recognizes that she is loved and she is valued and she is thought of and she is cared for. The opposite of works righteousness, what we're going to look at here is gift righteousness, uh, what is given to us. And this starts in verse 13 with the tax collector. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This guy is the worst of the worst. He is looked down upon, he is shunned, he is hated as I said, it would be crazy for him to even be in the temple. He is a crook, he is a cheat, and he knows it. He knows it, and he confesses it. He confesses it. How do we know he is humble and repentant? First, we look at his location. He doesn't even get close. The Pharisee's right up there, probably as close as he could get, where the most people could see him. This man is standing far off. His location tells us, I don't even need, I don't even deserve to be near God. This is humility that the tax collector shows. It's also in his posture. He's not puffed up like the Pharisee was. No, his head is down. He is broken. He doesn't speak loudly. He speaks softly. God, I'm a, I'm a sinner. He isn't focused on everyone else's sin around him. He's focused on his own. He's not saying, well, I don't see any other tax collectors in here. <laughs> Doing better than them. No, he's He's broken and he's humble and he's repentant over his own sin he feels the weight of it the idea of of him beating his breast beating his chest the only other time this is mentioned is in scripture is when jesus uh, was crucified in those le- the most horrific event in all of human history and as those people leave they beat their breast they beat their chest in luke chapter 23 in anguish in deep sorrow in brokenness this man's behavior he shows that he understands the weight of his sinfulness. The defining characteristic here that makes all the difference is this man's humility and this man's repentance. This is the defining characteristic that he is humble and he's repentant. He he leaves justified, and you may say, how does that happen? He he can't uh, answer all the tough theological questions. He doesn't know the Bible cover to cover. He hasn't read it. He doesn't go to church. He doesn't fast twice a week like the Pharisee does. How could he be justified? One of them thought they could please God on their own, and the other one knew that he couldn't. This is what separates everyone. So how can we be made righteous? That's an important question. That is the most important question you will ever ask in your life. How can I be made righteous to a holy God. Be made right, be made guiltless, be made faultless. It is not by human morality or goodness. It is conviction and repentance of sin and the receiving of Christ's atonement for your sin. How can you be made righteous? By confession of sin, receiving Christ's atonement for your sin. And so the next fair question that you might ask is okay, so what I do doesn't matter? Is that what you're telling me? I can just do whatever I want and Christ's blood covers it? Is that what you're saying this morning? Not at all. Not at all. The scriptures are really clear that God deeply cares about what we do. But here's the difference that you and I do not work for God's love. We do not work for God's love. We're not performing for God's love. We work from God's love. See, there's a big difference there. We're not working for God's love, we're working from it. And we are not doing things so that God might view us in a certain way, as I said, impressing him, checking off a list, but as we confess our sin, receive the Holy Spirit, as Ephesians 2 would tell us, we were, uh, by grace we have been saved, not of our own works, by faith, so that we can't boast. Because we know their, their pride would root up in us if it was on our own accord. And later on in that chapter, it, he, he says, uh, Paul says that we are saved unto good works, And so it's not our good works that make us right before God, but it is that we are saved unto good works. There's a big distinction there. And so who do you identify with in the story? Who do you identify with? Is it the Pharisee? Maybe you hear this and you realize that pride, self-righteousness, maybe has started to take a root in your life and you've been trying to impress God with your behavior rather than being broken over your sin and receiving the life that Jesus would give you. Or the tax collector who was far from God, he knew he was far from God, but recognized that God was never far from him. He realized in his brokenness and in his sin, I am so far from God. I have missed the mark. I have missed the standard of perfection. And yet also fully realizes that God not for a second was far from him and cries out for repentance. And forgiveness. In 2 in Corinthians chapter 5, 21, it says this For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How do you become righteous? You receive the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. That is how you become righteous. Paul backs this up in Galatians. And he says this, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but it's through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus. Isn't this amazing that God doesn't leave us to our unrighteousness? Instead, Jesus, the son of God, becomes a man, steps into eternity, not working our way up to God for a chance of being approved by him, but God coming down into mankind to take on being a servant. He humbles himself unto death, even a death on the cross. He takes the death that you and I deserved. We get the life that he lived. He takes our unrighteousness, the wrath that sin deserved, puts it on himself, and gives us his righteousness. How do we become righteous? We receive the righteousness that is offered in Jesus Christ, the perfect righteousness. And so now as we stand before him, we stand righteous before a holy God as we have accepted that. And the scriptures actually tell us he doesn't count our sins against us anymore. We stand before a holy God, righteous. This is freeing. This frees us from our performance-based mentality. This frees us from our past that would say, you're never good enough. You can't do it. This frees us from every lie of the enemy that would try to stop us. That as you stand, as you sit here in this room today, as you watch online, there is nothing that God will turn away from you because of. If only you turn to him, there's nothing. Because the righteousness of Christ is offered to you. A sinner, broken, messed up, offered to you. And the scriptures would say, now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Do not trust in yourself as the Pharisee did. Confess your sin. Receive the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus for you and celebrate the goodness of God in your life. My prayer for this sermon is that you would leave this place, you would go into your week, you would go into your workplace, you would go into your school, wherever it might be, and you would have the word justified ringing in your heart and in your ears. Justified, justified, justified. This is the life of a Christian, that we are justified in his sight. So I wanna pray for us today, maybe as you sit here, you need to spend some time in prayer. Maybe as we talked about the Pharisee this morning, you say, oh, there's, there's, some, there's some Pharisee ways in me that I see popping up, some self-righteous comparison, some pride that I need to confess and I need to give to God so that I might be able to live with compassion, not contempt maybe you're the tax collector overwhelmed by your guilt and your shame this morning and we will sing a song now that reminds us Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow that's what we will proclaim together as the people of God if this is your first time hearing this message and you say wow God has grace and mercy offered for me I would love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. Find Pastor Marvin. Don't leave this place not having that word justified ringing in your heart and in your life because there is grace that is offered to you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, we just thank you. We praise you for all that you have done. Lord, you looked upon us while we were broken, while we were sinners, and you didn't wait for us to get ourselves right before you sent your son. And you call us into relationship with you today. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus that makes us justified in your sight. We thank you, Lord. I pray for that person this morning that you're tugging on their heart. You're speaking to them. Would you make it clear what it is you're saying? Would your Holy Spirit minister to them? Give them understanding, deep understanding of what it is you would be calling them to today. Lord, for that person that is just feeling like they don't measure up and feeling worthless. God, would you remind them today that they are worth your son's death on the cross? That you love them that much. That they have an identity, that they have a purpose, that they have a future. Lord, we thank you for your word. May it change us and transform us. In the name of Jesus, we pray.